It's Wednesday, August 26, 2015, and you're listening to episode 377 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games on a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 49 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Wayne. My name's Chad. And this is Julia. All right, one quick thing before we get down to the meat of the episode. Kickstarter rewards. So we did the Fear the Con Kickstarter. You know, Dan, I was really happy, too. We do the Kickstarter. We get the rewards out there. We get a lot of them out there. And I'm looking at the other day at my list of uh, other Kickstarters I've backed yeah. and seeing how many of them I've got nothing from. So this was right around Saturday that I'm looking at this. I'm thinking, man, we did good. We got almost everything out ahead of schedule. And then Sunday, we find out some people didn't get the stuff we sent. All right. So here's the story on the Kickstarter thing. We actually sent out some of the rewards as early as June 6th. uh, And then some of them were sent out in July. There's a very small number we're still working on. But then we got contacted by some people back to Kickstarter saying they hadn't gotten the rewards. And as best as we can tell, it was probably just blocked by a spam filter or something. So if you were a backer of the Fear the Con 8 Kickstarter and you have not received a reward that you are due, please send us a message on Kickstarter and we will do something to make sure you get your rewards. And we're still working on some of the custom fiction and such, but the Kickstarter only bonus episode is out there. The Gnarls Draw stuff is done. The actual play is done. The pictures and video is done. Con pictures and video are done. The digital copies of Blood Moon Goblins. The digital copies of Sojourn. The custom form titles. All that stuff should have been done and resolved. Once again, some of it as far back as June. So if you did not get anything because a spam filter blocked it or, or who knows what happened, please send us a direct message on Kickstarter so we can match you to your reward level and take some extra steps to make sure that you are getting your rewards. Because obviously we don't want to leave anyone feeling that they didn't get what they are owed. So moving on to some gaming topics here. This past Saturday, we did a charity trivia night for Tim Meehan, who used to be, I thought he was a manager, but he apparently used to be like a director of human resources or something like that. Yeah, I thought he had basically the job that Brodor used to have before Brodor had it. That's what I thought, too, but that is apparently not quite the case, or I, I don't know exactly. But the point is, he used to work for the Fantasy Shop, which is a local chain of gaming shops. And unfortunately, now he is struggling with a pretty serious illness. And so we went to a trivia night that was a fun drive for Tim to help him out with his medical and travel expenses. And we've got a few other things in the cooker that we're going to do to try and help him out. But there was something that I noticed at that trivia night that I don't think I had ever really quite felt before. That we were an answer to a question? Because that was pretty awesome. That was pretty cool. Well, that that too. But (laughs) no, that's not the first time that's happened. I felt like the middle child of gaming because some of those questions were just insane. Well, I think I get what you mean. There was a lot of questions for the really old school. Yes. And And then a lot of 5E. And when we say old school, like Dan and I are 39. We mean 19. I'm the youngest on the podcast. So we're not saying, oh, well, we're. 19 years old or we're 22 years old and, and oh we're man old. yeah all those old times. no i mean we're not young we've been gaming for a long long time now and 
they were asking questions like, in the 1977 issue of the precursor to Dragon Magazine, this guy wrote an article called oh. Sage Advice that in this one article, this guy mentioned what artist? And it's like everybody in the room was like, oh, what? Except except one guy. Yeah. One guy in this that one. one guy who actually used to write on our blog. That one guy. The Wayne, lazy, yeah, the lazy DM. The lazy DM. Wayne and I used to work with him. And this guy was, is a grognard. In the truest sense of the word. I was sitting next to John. We brought John with us because John's our, yeah, John's our ringer, right? He's our <laughs> D&D rules lawyer. He's going to answer the majority of these. I'm just happy that I, like, helped answer two questions. I yeah. wrote. But, yeah, I, I got a question. Yeah. Well, and, and let's be clear. We may feel like we didn't know a lot of the answers. But we were second place. Yeah, that's we right. Were still good. If the lazy DM hadn't been yeah. there, so we, we would have been won. first. I leaned over to John and I'm like, you see that guy on that table over there at the end? He's like, yeah, I know him. I used to work with him. He's going to destroy us. <laughs> but they didn't beat us that bad. It was only by like yeah. Four we points. I think we did a really yeah, good showing. Really yeah, out of a hundred, I think they beat us by four points. Yeah, and we the difference is though, we were a table. He was he one, was one guy there were with four, none of the others answering yeah. any questions. He had four. I people think that in one guy contributed contributed by eating Hardee's. Right, <laughs> and the one the other guy was vigorously shuffling magic cards. Yes. That's yes. how he contributed. And talking to us. And talking to us, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so here's my observation. Every era of gaming has good games. I am not of the opinion that old school's where it's at or that the newest, latest, and greatest is where it's at. I think every era has something to appreciate. I was reading something about music the other day, and there was the comment that if you say there's no good new music coming out, it's a sign that you're probably not listening to a lot of new music. And I agree with that. There's a lot of manufactured pop on the top 40 stations. I'm not a real big fan well, of. Well, there has been since pop was. Yeah, it? I mean, exactly. the Beatles were yeah. pop. Right. And manufacturing. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so you can find good stuff out there. And having just been at Gen Con, I saw new gaming products that were just released this year that I love. And I've seen gaming products from the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the single-digit 2000s that were all also great and worthy of owning and playing. And some of these games I don't move on from, not because there's nothing good and new out there, but simply because of the fact that the fact that it's old doesn't make it bad either. There was some really good old stuff, but holy crap. I mean, those questions were all shooting like, really early 1970s which is before i was born <laughs> or you, what dnd 5e just came out with but you can't say they were impossible questions because neil smoked us with them no i'm not There's at least well, one and we, made up our, we made up our lead on the more modern right yeah, yeah. and i'm i'm not on the licks yeah yeah i'm not saying that they were unfair questions. I'm not calling. BS. Oh no! I mean, they're trivia. Yeah, yeah they're it was fair yeah. trivia. Sure, yeah, that was great. I just keep coming back to that image of the middle child, where knowing huge amounts about role playing from 1982 through 2012 was almost worthless. Dan, recently we played Trivia Pursuit. Now I'm not talking the trivia thing we were at Saturday. I'm talking the board game. 
trivia pursuit. But you know how when you go over to somebody's house and they're like, hey, let's play some trivia pursuit. Nobody has the base set. Oh, yeah. It's no. either it's sports like pop culture, or pop culture or baby boomers 90s. or sci fi or and, the Star Wars. And you know Wars why edition. right now? Because I can't find the base yeah. set. I've been looking for three weeks. I'm going to have to go online to get it. So here's the thing. Well, I did find a copy, the, but it was from 1981. The bullshit <laughs> set that we had was the 25th anniversary of Trivial Pursuit that was made in 2001. All the questions were from the past 25 years, starting at 2001. And we were like, oh, my God, we were born in the 70s. We grew up in the 80s and 90s. We're going to smoke this. Half the questions were about magazines. Magazine, like this Things article. Things you would never this, have known. The thing was, it was the middle child thing. Yeah. It wasn't for people who grew up in that time. It was for people who were 30, 40, 50 yeah. in the past 25 years. Well, and I also would like to point out that at the time those questions were from, there wasn't a lot of variety on role-playing games. And then we grew up with a ton of variety. You know, we had a lot of games coming out while we were growing up that mm-hmm. became popular. Yeah. You know, like Vampire and a lot of the other ones. So I feel like when you get into the era that we are more familiar with as far as gaming mm-hmm. goes... There was more to choose from. So yeah. when you have a D&D trivia, it's hard to find questions just for D&D because there are other options. Well, I think that's also true because if you look at the history of D&D, D&D went through several cycles of growth and then recession where they exploded out there. They were hugely famous. They put out a ton of products and then they would shrink. They would pull back. I mean, you had the 1970s where they had a bunch of stuff. And then they kind of pulled back a bit before second edition. The second edition comes out, and that was their business model, was churning out products basically faster than the company could collapse, to be brutally honest. <laughs> and then that kind of pulls back. And 3E was a little bit more understated than 2E. Yes, there was a lot of stuff, but this was also when you got the D20, the OGL, and a lot of the splat for D&D wasn't coming from Wizards of the Coast. And I think 4E was also a pretty understated edition, and now with 5e, it's I, I don't know per se that it's an overstated edition the way that first or second was, but it's just simply new enough. And I personally have not played 5e yet. I, I just either. don't have an opinion on it. And I know it's been out for a year or two or three, and I, I need to catch up with it and at least try a game of it. And I thought about picking up the books actually while we were at the fantasy shop for this particular game night. But the three starting books together are 150 bucks plus tax. You don't really so need I, all three, though. I mean, I have two of them. You don't need the GM book because all it is is advice for running a campaign, I mean, is that advice true? for creating a world. It's things that you've been a game master long enough. That you don't need it. You don't need that book. Yeah, I mean, is that true in this edition? Because in some yes. prior editions, the DM guide did it not had all just the stuff in it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It didn't just have GMing oh advice. Well, it, it didn't even just have treasure tables. It would have stuff like if you want to hire NPC assistance, this is what it costs mm-hmm. to get them. Yeah, no, this edition I have because I have the base game and I have the GM guide. And the GM one is basically advice and telling you how to run a campaign. It is things that you've been doing for years. After I got it, I kind of I was disappointed once I started reading through it, and I realized I should have got the monster manual instead. Well, maybe I just need to grab the table of contents then and skim through it and see. Is there an OGL? I'll just bring it over for you, and you no. can look through. Oh, it. so you can't even like? I don't. To the best yeah. of my knowledge, there is no like online. Is there a quick start? Maybe there might be. I'm sure yeah. there's a quick start. Yeah. 
But I don't think there's anything like a system resource document or an open gaming document for 5th edition. I agree with you. I mean, 150 bucks. that's a lot of cheddar to lay out for... A game you don't know if you're going to Yeah, it's not like you... And that's my big problem is I bought two of the books knowing that I probably wouldn't really get a chance to ever run it. I bought them because I played 5th edition at Fear the Con and loved the system so Mm -hmm. much that I wanted to have it. And I do want to run it. It's just I don't think I'll get a chance and to. I haven't had the opportunity to actually play it yet. Otherwise, I may have spent the money, but I was burned before. I hate mm-hmm. it. And I'm sorry, everybody, but I hated 4E. I did. I enjoyed 4E. I, I purchased all these books, and I ended up so not liking light. it. It was <laughs> rules light, but some of the rules were just... I, I didn't mind the actual rules. It, it was Some of the rules just were against what I felt like D&D it, was supposed to be about. It certainly was not D&D. D&D. You know, and so I was. Yeah. I, I'm more hesitant on this edition to just go out and drop right. 150 bucks on books, well, having been burned by the 4E that I didn't like, and I haven't had a con game to try. Well, it. So I'll, I'll be honest in my purchase of it. I went out to Amazon. They offered me a uh, no interest credit card, and if you get the credit card, they give you a $75 gift certificate. And you use the $75. And I used it to buy it. <laughs> and then I took as soon as I got the card, I put it in a box up on a shelf and never use it. Oh, geez. I got it strictly to get the gift card so I could so get could the, books. the books. Hmm. Like, I really want to try it. I mean, it seems really cool. But yeah, I understand where you're coming from. 150 bucks. Too much money. cheddar to lay out for a game you don't have. If you had like a group and it was, you're up. What are we playing, guys? Hey, I got this idea. Yeah. Didn't you buy the starter kit? Did I? I might have because you were going to run it. You were going to run it for yeah. Sky. You bought the I, beginner's box. We did, and it, it got put up on a shelf, and I never read it because <laughs> I got really busy. <laughs> well, there you go. You know, I was actually thinking about running four E for him. That is a simplistic rule set. It's a simplistic rule set. There's a lot of quick start stuff, and with four E. You're always doing something. You know, you're yeah. always firing off healing surges. You're always pressing buttons. You're always, everybody is always doing something all the time in combat. It's, yeah, it's probably good for children. That might yeah. be why I didn't like it. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> so, <laughs> Wayne, you know, you just made a whole bunch of 4E players. I'm cry. sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, so, as mentioned, I played it at Fear the Con, but what I played in was one of the Adventure League games. So, it wasn't just a, uh, a, a standalone game. It was. One of these, uh, the Adventure League is basically the D&D equivalent of Pathfinder Society. What did it, it is there... used to be called? Uh, I know they had Adventure Paths as well. No, but... Adventure Paths was Pathfinder. Well, they might have. Oh, I think Paths were started for D&D, yeah. but then became adopted by yeah, Pathfinder. Yeah, because Adventure always went Yeah, with before D&D. that was all the living campaigns. Yeah, if, that's what it was. Yeah. Living, living Greyhawk, and then they would do yeah. Living Forgotten Realms. So now I've done both the D&D Adventures and Pathfinder Society. And some things I, I can't really judge as a comparison because I did one game. Mm-hmm. Part of it is... Yeah, continuing I'm, your character. Well, besides that, it's one game, one GM, seeing how he ran it. I haven't seen how other GMs run it. So I don't have the same comparison between the two. But I did notice some differences right away. Besides the system itself, which I said, I absolutely love some of the changes in the system. Like what? Well, one of the things I liked is... They took this concept, the uh, that at-will thing that they did for four. Yeah. Instead of that, they gave, made sure that every magic user has a damaging zero-level spell. So oh. you will have a cantrip that is a, a fireball, for example. And those spells level with you. So your zero-level spell will get more powerful as you get more powerful. 
That so is the neat. spells you get at zero and first level and such, they don't just go away. They're still useful as you get higher up. I feel like they adopted that from video gaming. Yeah. Because that's kind of have a lot of like the video a wild gaming. Thing does. Yeah. I like yeah. they've added something kind of like aspects where your character has some traits that you can uh, work with. They've added inspiration. Uh, inspiration is kind of like a Benny, basically. Okay. So the GM can hand out, you know, Chad inspires uh, Julia to do something in the game. Do the GM it. could give him an inspiration. When he uses it, he can get advantage. The advantage-disadvantage system, instead of having to do a lot of math, the if you have advantage, you roll 2d20, you take the higher of the two. If you have disadvantage, you roll 2d20, you take the lower of the two. Instead of huh. figuring out pluses and minuses and all the bonuses. Yeah, I've liked that system for some time now. There was something similar in early editions of MechWarrior, where that system is based on 2d6, and so what you would do is you'd roll three six-sided dice, and based on the situation, you'd either take the highest two or the lowest two, and then ignore the yep. third die. So it created that sort of spread. Some of the buffs can give you extra dice that you roll for damage. So like a uh, a bard that does that buffs the group, they could potentially get advantage, or they could get a d6 that they can add to any roll. So I enjoyed that about it. Basically, overall, I was a first-level character, and I didn't feel like that. I felt like I was still able to do things. I still had abilities. I still had powers. And it was still fun working with the mechanics of it. And you played, obviously, you played a magic user? I played a wizard. And right, I said, right at level one, I felt like I had abilities. Uh, they've really made efforts to basically tone back all of the high armor classes. In the monster manual, there's hardly anything that has over a 20 for an armor class. Hit points still go through the roof, but right. armor class is toned back. Because mm-hmm. there's nothing that's more annoying than not being able to hit. Yeah, you know, and that's a strangely psychological thing. That let's yeah. say you have two monsters, and I'm going to kill both of them in four hits. But monster A will go down in one hit, but I'm going to miss him three times. Monster B just has enough hit points that he won't drop till the fourth hit. For some reason, monster A is psychologically a whole lot more annoying to me than monster B. Yeah, because you can roll damage at least. You yes, because you're you, just whiffing it, at him. Yes, it's annoying. you feel like you're doing something. <laughs> it's the same way that I approach traffic. I would rather drive for ten minutes than sit still for five. Yeah. I realize that in every way, idling for five is better than driving for ten. Idling for five is soul-crushing. Yes, it is. is. And whiffing, missing, is just, it's disappointment. Yes, it's disappointment. It's a perception perception of failure. It's, I'm failing, I'm failing, I'm failing, I'm failing, I'm failing. Especially when a lot of games like D&D, you're supposed to win. I mean, that, that's kind of the thing, is that, well, yeah. you know, if the encounter is balanced correctly and you don't have an asshole for a GM, you're going to win. Well, and I'm currently in a werewolf game, and I've been playing a lot of Pathfinder for the past like year or two. That's a lot of what my friends have been wanting to do. So the past year, I've had more variety, and one of them is a werewolf game, and I literally can hit everything. It's just insane to me. It's like... I just roll two die, and they're like, oh, yeah, you hit. I'm like, wait, I get to roll these 20 die that are sitting here? Like, all these dice, I just get to roll them. I think it's because Pathfinder and and older D&D couldn't. Yeah, one of the things that always frustrated me when playing a magic user in an older D&D is that basically you run out of your spells. Now, I know that what they expect you to do is they expect you to have, you know, wands and scrolls and all of that, but that's just not how we play. Well, on top of that, at first level... 
Yeah, and early yeah. levels you don't have it. That's why I love having a base power that is the just uh, zap. Yeah, just something as a cantrip that is an attack. Yeah, even if it doesn't do a ton of damage, at least yeah, you're doing something. Just so I can do something. Mm-hmm. And that's something that always frustrated me with wizards and sorcerers in earlier editions. You know, especially at that low level, is I would always run out, and it's like there's nothing else I can do to damage here. Yeah, I'm literally just a paperweight. I can run up and try hitting something, but if I do, I'm now in melee, and yeah, I have no armor, and I don't think I've got my second edition book within reach. But memory serves, like a wizard at first level, I think only had one or two spells and one or two hit points. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, no armor. Keep in mind the zero level spells that came along with third edition. I think a cat had more hit points, more damage, and probably more spells than the wizard did. Yeah, I think in this adventure league game, I had six HP, and I never felt like I was a weak. That was something else they changed. Was if I remember the hit point chart right, they did away with the D four hit dice. So I don't think wizards and sorcerers and such, well, sorcerers, I guess, didn't already, but like wizards and whatnot don't have a D4 hit die anymore. I believe everyone got moved up. So I think like wizards now have a D6. I'm just going off memory here, but I think that's correct. Well, in the way you're describing it, it seems like within the carry on a character side of it, one of the things I noticed in Pathfinder society that would happen where people would just like recycle characters, but carry their points over because... Their sorcerer wasn't doing anything. There was a was just sitting around. So let me make a fighter because I could take all the points that I received from these and transfer it over to him and do better. Whereas, like, I feel like in this particular instance, you'd actually be able to get somewhere with a sorcerer or. Yeah, so when you get into how they do the Venture League, I don't know if the leveling, how it compares with the regular game, but how they've designed the leveling is it's in batches. So you'll have adventures are for like one through five. And it is really easy to get to four. And then it takes a little bit longer to get to five. And they did the same thing. After you get to five, you can really easily get to nine. But then it takes a little while to get to... T- there are those artificial ones where that one level is takes longer to get to. Game. So it's easier to keep people in that same... You know, if you miss a week, it's not that big of a deal. You can catch up quickly. Yeah. Or if somebody goes, uh, you know, is a little ahead, it'll... They have that spot where they're going to slow down yeah and this is a complaint i have with role-playing games in general this is specifically toward D, and i see this on computer role-playing games probably i'd say more often than i do in tabletop role-playing games which is if you have three people of disparate levels contributing to an encounter the person with the highest level gets the most xp the thing being that they contributed the most now i think from a game mister in character standpoint That's true. They did contribute the most, and therefore, I guess they should get the most XP. But if you look at the situations that's occurring, usually you have one person's a higher level and other people trying to catch up. And so I wish they would flip that, that the lower your level is, the more XP you got from it. And I think it'd be fairly easy to explain. the uh, City of Heroes things where you can sidekick guys. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or you could could tone down. Well, and it's fairly easy to explain in character. Because if you get somebody who's level 15 and this is their 15th dragon to bag, somebody who's level three and just doing this for the first time is probably going to learn a whole lot more. I mean, there's yeah. diminishing returns on these experiences, but and not every game does this. But I have seen enough MMOs and tabletop role-playing games where when you break out the XP, the math favors the person at the high level. When I think for the purposes of handling the group as a non-competitive entity, and I fully believe role-playing groups should be a non-competitive entity, 
that the person with the lower level should be the one getting more XP so they can catch up and not get discouraged and say, well, screw this, I'm out of here, because the guy who's 10th level just keeps leveling faster, and I'm at 5th level, and I'm... I'm never going to do it. I'm never going to catch up. Yeah, because yeah, you have to hide behind walls while the 10th level... I mean, it's like, a, it's like in a video game, right? World of Warcraft or any game that has leveling, even Payday or something like that that has leveling, the whole power leveling concept of... The higher level guy goes in and he starts killing everything for you. Well, then you have to sit there and you have to watch, watch him, him do, do all the stuff. And it's like, this is really boring, but look at these numbers fly. So, right. For me, it's it's never something I wanted to do on video games because that implies that the end is where you want to be. Right. That the rest of the game is just taking your time until you get to the max level. Yeah. And I would rather have that journey. I don't want the... Honestly, when I reach the max level, I'm done, and I go back and start a new character. Start over, yeah. You know, it's interesting, because I, I had mentioned Payday. I, I play Payday 2 quite a bit, and I play it with booters, and that has a leveling system in it. You gain experience, and you level, and you know your character gets better, but it's a first-person shooter. So it's mm-hmm. not like you're unlocking spells or abilities or stuff like that. I mean, you kind of are, but really, it's just an FPS, so it's based on your skill, personally, not what level mm-hmm. you're at. To a certain extent. So somebody who might be a lower level than you might be better yeah. at shooting something. Yeah, so well, like, absolutely. I don't know how it works on that game, but I know when I used to do Wolfenstein, or uh, Enemy Territory is a better example, you would have a campaign, and you gained XP as you went through right. the campaign, and it would be things like, you now get more med packs than you right. did before. Right, that's kind of what it is. Or you can now more dual complex, wheel, but... Yeah. but I play quite a bit, and I have a high-level character. You reach this max level, and then you can reset your character and then go up the ladder again and it gets you a little bit of some of of this or that when you Mm -hmm. do it and i got to a point where it's like you know what i just enjoy playing the game with friends Mm -hmm. and i have reached max level i'm not going to reset myself i'm happy where i'm at and so it's not about that journey and i've played with people before where not in this game but in, in other games where like you said, the journey was really fun. Then they get to that max level, and then they're like, all right, I made it. Now I'm not going to play anymore. I'm done. I don't know. I, if the game is fun enough for you to go through the levels, but not fun enough for you to stay at the max level, it's not a very fun game. Well, and that was how I felt about all MMOs. Right. What they considered end content wasn't what I wanted for end content. Nope. I wanted story. And Ditto. Ditto. And yeah. content doesn't give you yeah, that. Yeah, raid grinding was over my thing. So, Wayne, I'm curious, in your experience of playing Adventurally versus Pathfinder Society, what kinds of things did you notice? Well, story is a good example. One thing I noticed, the pre-generated characters that they had all had backstories and motivations and histories, and it told you how they felt about certain factions. That the company made or that the game Yeah, that the company oh. made. Huh. Oh, wow. So, going in, you already had the character that was in front of you had a history and, this is, and had motivation. And this is Adventure League? Yeah. Okay. And that was the that was the pre-gen. Obviously, if you really wanted to play it, you would create your own character and add all that yourself. Well, yeah, because Pathfinder Society, yeah. they spit out like the ones that you see from the book. And yep. that was what you got. And those and are very generic. Vanilla. For, with no real history to them unless you know the setting. Yes. But nothing on the sheet to tell no, you the no, history. No. And Pathfinder Society has factions and missions and things like that as well. They have some of that kind of built into Adventure League, but it's different in how they do it. It's not 
so clear cut that every adventure you sit down and you're given your secret mission. Well, because one of my problems with the factions is I tend to have my characters grow and the factions kind of housed you in a specific place. And you, it was really hard for you to get out of that without changing characters and losing some of your experience. One thing I noticed in, uh, in so Pathfinder Society, if you role play your way around a combat encounter, you get the rewards that you should have gotten with that encounter. In D&D Adventures, we got bonuses hmm. by role-playing our way around combat encounters. That's awesome. Yeah, I yeah. like that a lot. We actually got, in this particular adventure at least, because we didn't kill any of the town guards, we got bonuses. Was that baked into the adventure? Or yes. Yes. So, like, the adventure, the guy's running it, and at the end, it's, it's like... At the end, he's going through the list. Yeah. And, beca- did it, did and that was one of the checkpoints. Nope. Guess what? You get X extra. Hopefully that, that encourages, exactly cool. hopefully yeah. that encourages GMs to start yeah. doing that, because yeah. I love that. <laughs> the story was really good, too. Like, I, I've enjoyed some of the stories in Pathfinder Society, but the eventually writing seemed to be on a different level to me. The story was much more interesting. It got you ideas of what had happened in the previous adventures, as well as things that they were building up to. It was trying to build the world around you. And all in all, it just seemed to me, at least, that they have a better quality of writing than Pathfinder Society has. That it's a more interesting world that they are creating. They're doing a better job of having the adventure feel like a gaming session instead of uh, just, you know. A grinder. Yeah. So let me ask you two questions. First off, do you feel like this is an indictment that Pathfinder Society is lacking or simply that between the two you prefer the Adventure League more? Between the two, I preferred the Adventure League more. But again, I've only done it once. So you know, maybe I might have different experiences with different GMs. I think what they did was they probably looked at their adventure paths from before. They looked at what Pathfinder was and doing. Off and then they kind of took the both of them together and made good something stuff. better. Yeah, it yeah. is going to be interesting to see what, if anything, Paizo does in the long run with this. Because the primary selling point, at least as a starting point, of Pathfinder is that it's backward compatible. That it mm-hmm. still basically fits within the D&D 3.x framework of rules and such. And so I think if they were to revise that and do some kind of Pathfinder nth edition that really went off the trail, I think they'd alienate a lot of their fans. But at the same time... They need some ability in there to leverage what they've learned. Well, yeah, I was thinking that, too, because one of the things they had going for them was a lot of people really disliked fourth edition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Fifth well, and- edition seems to be getting more positive reviews than fourth edition did. So at this point, if fifth edition does well, how are they going to reinvent themselves? Because their game now at this point is suffering from one of the problems that uh, D&D tends to have over time. There's so much out there, so many books, so much bloat that they're kind of getting. Why does anybody from... have to buy new stuff? Well, you don't. Yeah, need you to. don't. Yeah. Need to. You've got the well, internet though for it. But the... how are they going to make more money right. if the core yes. books are already out the there? Thing. And I think that Pathfinder and D and D need to diverge. There needs to be a difference between them. That instead of just D and D is like 3X and Pathfinder is like 3X. Well, you don't need two 3X style right. games. Right. Pathfinder's got that covered. I do think that's good that, that TS, uh, TSR. No, <laughs> I totally failed that one on the trivia <laughs> content. No, uh, that 
Hasbro, Wizards of the Coast, D&D, is doing something what sounds like different, yet not going off the range like they did with 4E. Yeah, yeah. So, so Wayne, that leads me to my second question. Let's say right now I had 5th edition books and Pathfinder books sitting in front of me. And I've got a campaign, and I'm going to run the same campaign either way, and it's going to be a great campaign. All that's going to differ between these two realities, Earth 1 and Earth 2, is the rule system that it's being run under. Which rule system would you pick? Now, part of this is an unfair question. Okay. Because I've played a lot with Pathfinder, so D&D 5e is still more new to me. Okay. And so I'm not- the type person that it has that new shiny. Okay. So for me, easy answer, I would say 5th edition. Okay. But part of that is because it's I new. haven't... Yeah, it's new. I haven't tried all the classes. Yeah. There's still so much more I want to do with it. And I think that's one place where you and I would diverge. I would Pathfinder. I am not mm-hmm. stuck Tell on the old things. stuff, but if all other things are equal, I would choose the familiar over the new shiny, whereas you mm-hmm. seem to fall on the other side that if all things are equal, you choose the new shiny over the familiar. If I were going to run a game, I would choose the familiar. If I were going to, if I game, were going to play a game, I want the new the shiny. shiny. Fair enough. Yeah, and see, I would choose Pathfinder as well just because I've been hosed in games where I don't know the system well enough, and the GM knows the hell out of the system, so he, like, destroys my character because I don't know what I'm doing. See, and that's, to me, that's stupid. It, it's it's not a competition between you and the right. GM. The GM I know. should be helping you. Right, just and I agree. like if the GM did not know the system very well. Well, and he, he had to did. pull punches on me. A co- yeah. I say he, but it could have been a she. If I had hmm. ever had um, a GM destroy me like that, I would just go to the forums and have them min-max me a character. <laughs> because if I don't know that system, somebody, yeah, somebody on our forums does. does. Yeah, well, did you know you can go to Stack Exchange, the, the IT knowledge yeah. website? Stack Exchange has a role-playing game Stack Exchange and a video game Stack yep. Exchange I've as well. accidentally found it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I am aware of it. I'll see if I can sh- link it on the show notes. But for everyone not familiar, Stack Exchange, it's a resource mostly for IT professionals. Yep. That's basically knowledge exchange. You go out there. My server blew up in this way. Oh, my God, help me. Yeah. And, then and so people it. say, oh, yeah. you need to try this or do this or run this PowerShell command. And then people can upvote and downvote the answers, kind of like, I guess, what you'd see on Reddit or mm-hmm. something. And the winner that's... Less racism, though. Yes. <laughs> With a lot of... <laughs> I copy a lot of code from that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Stack Overflow, which is the... Yeah, the computing, coder. The, the yeah. programming version yeah. of Stack Exchange. Yeah. See, I love the sites like that because you can go out there and quickly search your answer. Would you have found it on your own? Very possibly. Uh, not nearly as fast. But you're not going to find yeah. it in 10 minutes. Yeah. And, and you the, have a system down, or you have somebody asking for you to have something done, you want the quick answer. But the point being, there are versions of that for all kinds of different yeah. topics yeah. now, including role-playing games. Now, I'm not suggesting you go out there and min-max it. One of the <laughs> things that I've tried to do as a GM, and I recommend to other GMs, is if a player is new to a system, they're not going to really understand how the characters work at the level of the character model or the math. And if they get well into the game and the character is not just not quite what they want it, which I think is probably an inevitability when you're unfamiliar with the system, but the character is outright broken and you have to pull all kinds of punches and make all kinds of exceptions for them. And they can't really contribute. They're going to get frustrated which is why, for example, Wayne, when I introduced you to Battletech and Mech Warrior, you know, I was pretty 
proactive about saying, mm-hmm. okay, you probably want to get this skill moved around a bit. Well, and your or players should or you're help not you too. Be happy. Mm-hmm. Well, yes. Yeah, your fellow players yeah. is like, I was in a game, I was in an exalted game where I was just getting hosed. And I finally went to one of the ones who I knew had a ton of knowledge on the system. And I was like, what do I need to do to fix this? Because this is super broken. I'm getting my butt beat. And you guys are just like, yeah, I'm awesome. I'm like an anime character. I kick crap out of everything. And I'm in the background getting the crap kicked out of me. Something's wrong. And they fixed it for me. So I've always said that you have to watch that and let the people come to you to a degree. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, if uh, if you basically start someone off, I have all these years of experience and here's what you do. They don't a feel lot like of times, theirs. yeah. A lot of times, it comes with I know I should pick this skill, but I don't know why I should pick this skill. Yeah, I don't know what happens if I don't have that skill. And maybe you're just saying that because that works for you and it doesn't work for me. And it's a lot easier to help somebody if they've already been beaten down than it is beforehand. Yeah. It all depends on the person too. But I know from my having been somebody that came into a group of veteran role players. Sometimes you just want to make your own mistakes and learn yeah, from them. Yeah, learn from yeah. them. Otherwise, you don't learn from your mistakes. You just you figure out right. what you're, what everyone thinks you should do, but you don't know why. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's no context. Well, and then it. you don't get yeah. to explore the things you might enjoy about a game over somebody else. Yeah. yeah. And you don't have those fun newbie moments like beating something with a frying pan <laughs> or stuff like Attacking that. Attacking a gazebo. Actually, yeah. beating something with a frying pan is relatively mathematically advantageous. What about attacking a gazebo with a frying pan? No, no. (laughs) (laughs) That's right out. (laughs) We were talking about min-maxers there a few moments ago, and I was actually heavily contemplating min-maxers a few days ago, believe it or not. And I have completely and totally changed my opinion on them based on purely anecdotal evidence. Okay, what was your opinion originally? My, just my in opinion case? originally was, oh, min-max, they don't role play. Oh. It's just all about the rules and numbers, and it's about, I want a two intelligence and a three charisma, and I want a 48,000 strength and 10 billion hit points, and I want to do atomic damage punch and stuff like that, which I, I, I kind of wish I could do an atomic damage punch. But anyway, <laughs> I was thinking about it, and I'm like, because I was, I was walking around a track. I, I work out and I walk a mile every day. And I was walking around this track and it's really freaking boring. So I was so thinking about min-max. So I think about min-max mm-hmm. apparently. So I was like, well, okay, what experience do you actually have with min-maxers? And I was like, I've only ever had truly positive experiences with them. You're lucky. I Well, because... Okay, well, think about this. Uh, yeah, let me hear this one out, because I've been there for some of those experiences, right. and they weren't positive. Well, hear, hear me out. All right. So I, I was in a D&D game. I think it was uh, 3-5 or something. And we mentioned in the trivia contest discussion that there was this old grognard named Neil. Well, we Wayne and I used to work with him. I used to work directly with him. I, I sat next to him, and I was in a 3-5 game. And I was like... I'm not a math guy. I hate making these characters like this. I, you know, it's all meaningless to me. I, I don't, I just don't care enough. And I went to him like, Hey, can you make my character for me? Or at least tell me where to put points at or how to make it. And the first thing he asked me is, well, what's your character? And not like what class race, whatever you're playing. It's he wanted to know what my concept was. Mm-hmm. It's like, I want to play a rogue and this is his background. And this is his here is this is his history. And this is this and that. And, you know, this is kind of what I want to do with them. And this is why, what I think about him. And I, I kind of want him to, to be this kind of guy. And he's like, 
okay, I can work with that. He made my entire character up for me because we, we weren't starting at first level. We were starting at like fifth or sixth or eight. I don't even remember. And he hands it to me, and he, and he starts explaining it to me. He's like, okay, so you wanted him to be quick like this, but he has this kind of background, and he came from this place, and you said he had this kind of personality. So here's these abilities. But not only do the abilities work with the background I gave him, and they're in character, they also are amazing. They're amazingly powerful, and they work really well within the system. And then he was like, you know, I could have made you powerful in this way, but you work with a team. And I didn't want you just dominating your entire team, so I put these abilities in there. So now you can synergize with the team and do this and and ask your fellow players to do this and that. That wasn't the only time that's happened. So I was playing a Pathfinder game, went on the forums, Azrae Vep, min-maxed an alchemist for me. Awesome guy. And he asked the same questions. He's like, well, what's your background like? What what kind of personality are you playing? What do you tell me the character's history? What is this? And I laid it all out for him. And he did the exact same thing. Okay, but and I don't think that's a min max. Yeah, exactly. I, I But the characters no, no. were min max. But no. here's the thing. All right. So I don't want to wank vernacular, but I'm gonna wank vernacular. <laughs> I think Put your vernacular away. There's a lady present. I, I think <laughs> there is a difference between min maxing and making a mathematically effective character. Right. Agreed. Because a min-maxer, I think we could say Phil, his best advice or character creation is taking a disadvantage so you can get an advantage. Yep. But that's the eyes on the prize there, the most math for I whatever he can even get. thought about Phil. Well, <laughs> his character, Ludo, the guy with the door, the or I mean, he was just like a complete muscle. He didn't even have a brain. He had muscle for brain. But when he played him, he was great. The character had so much personality. It was a, we're telling stories about his character to this okay. day. I have no clue what my character was in that game, or if I was, I might have even been running it. I don't remember. All I remember is his character and Let, how cool it was. Let's use Bim as a counterexample. <laughs> oh, if you're going to pull that punch. I'm just saying, <laughs> that's a min-maxer. See, the problem yeah, with yes. min-maxers... And his characters are awful. Exactly. It's not that they want to make yeah. mathematically effective characters. The problem is the punctuation there. They want to break it. I want to make yeah. it a mathematically effective character, period. Bim. As opposed to, I want to make a mathematically effective character, comma, who also has personality and depth. Narl was mathematically effective. Right. Narl was not min-max. He not was a only, murder machine. But, but he also yeah. had serious weaknesses. Absolutely. He, his, he, had, he had personality yes. character flaws and, and flaws mathematical character mathematical flaws. flaws. Well, and For I've, example, his armor class was absolutely worthless. I've got to bring up he a was, Bim story, though. Go ahead. Now, I was not in this game, but it was told to me, repeatedly so they were playing a star wars game and this is way back in the day and, and bim is playing totally not boba fett oh, he's totally not boba fett guys <laughs> right yeah so he's playing boba fett and boba fett what does he have on his back a jetpack he has a jetpack so they're fighting alongside a cliff and somebody does something knocks totally not bim boba fett off the cliff <laughs> and what is bim boba fett doing Hanging by his fingertips on this cliff. Okay. 
yelling for his teammate, you've got to stop fighting and you have to rescue me. He has a jetpack. The whole reason he was doing that was so he could get spotlight on him. Hmm. So it's like he could like his friends could pull him up and then he's like, yeah, I'm back in the fight. And he was trying to create this moment, right? The game master knew this about Bim and did everything, dirty tricks included, to keep every single player from the, <laughs> and told, and was, did not say anything about his goddamn jetpack. And this is a jetpack. He's like flying around all over the place normally. And Help so just me. this time he decided it, he couldn't do it. <laughs> he just couldn't do it because he, he wanted yeah. to create this scene where it's just he had this heroic picture in his mind. And, that has nothing so, to do with Ben Maxing. Well, but yeah, if we're sharing stories that have nothing to do with Ben Maxing, yeah. a few sessions ago in the, uh, the game I'm running, well, I was running, I just uh, finished it up. Dan, you gotta tell his Bumblebee character, too. Dawn comes out. Her character is out in the backyard, and she brings out a frying pan. (laughs) And she goes to hit the guy with the frying pan. And someone at the table is like, really? You think that's gonna work? And Chad looks at them dead on and says, do you know whose game you're playing in? Right. I gave her bonuses to the frying pan. (laughs) Right. Now, in her nominal defense, she was in her kitchen... That was the most handy weapon she had. Not a but, knife. Yeah, but I, you don't have to defend it. It's a frying pan. Those <laughs> things are heavy. I certainly Especially like a cast before. iron one. Yeah. That thing might as well be a war hammer. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to get it. Yeah. All right. So, but circulating this back, my point being, I don't have a problem with people that make characters that are mathematically efficient or have some kind of. I think that, advantageous. I think power. it's a terminology thing. Like you said, the Vanak thing. I think that min maxer can either be a description of accuracy, saying, "Well, I'm min maxing the character," but I think it, it's also for some people pejorative. Yeah. For is. me, it used to be a pejorative until I actually walked around a mile, got bored, and thought about it. And <laughs> I think that min maxing and mathematically efficient and all that. I, I think it's the same thing, unless you're bim and. You just pick it out. Still is a pejorative to me, and I think it's partially because what I would say is what you're talking about with Azra and what you're talking Mm -hmm. about with uh, Neil. That doesn't quite sound like Men Maxine to me because they asked you up front, "What are you playing? What's the Mm -hmm. character going for?" And they picked things that are appropriate to that. They did not pick things that were from the gate a priori, all about maximum mathematical. Oomph. Right. You know, we're going to turn right. that D10 into a D12 just because. <laughs> yeah. and or what take I, this monk level at this point so that you can get extra yeah. dice to do well, this. Or, you said you, you don't need charisma. That's a dumb yeah, stat. You, you dumb said stat your character was a ladies' man and people liked him, but guess what? He's not a ladies' man and everyone hates him. Yeah, now took, you do D12. Yeah, we took all charisma out, so he's not hot at all. Yeah. <laughs> He, his He's face, a la- ugly ladies' man. His face is literally a butt. Yes. <laughs> he speaks and farts. <laughs> but he can hit things. Mm. All right, so I don't know. Boy, can he? I don't know when this is going to happen. At some point, I need to actually sit down with 5e and actually give it a run-through, read through the rules, find a quick start guide, something. You need to do a review of it. Like Dan we should and 5e. Yeah. Well, yeah, I got to play it though to review it. Even if I don't do a review, I just think doing what we do. A I ought, reader's review. I ought to at least be familiar with what 
the single most recognizable role-playing game is doing right now. Well, and everybody's raving about it, so I'd really like to try it and see. Yeah. I I, played, like I did play one of the beta versions. Mm -hmm. I just didn't play the release version. Yeah. And they, I can tell you from some of the things I'm overhearing, they definitely did change some things. At least you didn't play the Betamax version. <laughs> <laughs> I played the version when Monty Cook was still associated with the project for what keeps up with i i heard there was some problem with that i don't know what it was yes. though. like like he left and there was huffiness and yes that's my understanding as well is that he and watsy had some uh loose quotes here creative disagreements mm. and mm. i don't know anything beyond that so i won't conjecture well and, and monty uh, he's a pretty professional dude yes you he know is. it's not like he oh, was air and dirty laundry yes and he stayed it, real he yeah. stayed real narrow about it which mm -hmm. i respect I respect yeah i that. totally respect so that. We won't gossip because I don't know anything for sure anyway. But anyway, check the show notes. I'm, I think we got a few things I want to link. And beyond that, have a great week and great games, and we will catch you next time. Peace out. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2015. Listeners are free to use this show in any non-commercial endeavor as long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the Pulp Gamer Media Network of Shows. You can find other great shows in this network at pulpgamer.com.